In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures in its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our our, our chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you, Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, if you are listening to this pod. You could do so in a variety of ways. Start off theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your annual subscription. Of course, you can get all of our great podcasts, the Duncan Holder podcast, and all of our work across all platforms, all cities, all sports. You can get it right there at theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Or you could get it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million to jump on the Dunk and Holder podcast. Well, Jeff, first off, uh, how are you? Memorial Day weekend down. I'm sure you went and uh, partied like uh, it was uh, 2001. And uh, what I-, I saw pictures of people in the Ozarks, uh, you know, very much not social distancing. I'm sure you spent the same way, right? Yeah, it was uh, kind of a laid back weekend, Larry. I drank a lot of wine. I guess I. My memorial was, Stunning. was remembering all the other wine I drank in my life and in and, and loving memory, uh, drinking more wine this past weekend. So I'm just now recovered. I, I can't recover like I used to. I'm, I'm not like you. I can't, I can't just do it every night. I cannot do it every night. And uh, yeah, you probably have wine rot, I'm sure, for as much uh, <laughs> as maybe you've done. Uh, we got another great podcast lined up for you. Uh, Last week, we had on Joe Person to discuss the Carolina Panthers, and we're going to go shift down to Florida, where the news is definitely happening in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers. And of course, that means we will have on Greg Allman from The Athletic, our Bucks writer. Greg, really slow, I'm sure, for you this (laughs) offseason. Nothing's going on. Uh, you know, you're just waiting for Ryan Griffin to win that starting quarterback job, and uh, you know, just a ho hum uh, uh, couple last couple of months, right? Don't uh, don't rule out Blaine Gabbert there, okay? Ryan Griffin's shown a lot, but uh, yeah, Ryan Ryan Griffin, Blaine Gabbert—that's all we're writing about right now. The slow times will end soon enough, and we'll find something to write about for sure. Oh wait, never mind. Tom Brady and Gronk are in town. Uh, Gr- Greg, you silly. You- Totally, you totally missed out on all the news. Oh man, you, you blew it, bud. No, obviously, huge, huge happenings in Tampa Bay, and just your 
reaction to maybe the public's reaction to really just it's it's really kind of just a new team, a new start, uh, and with two of the most uh, exciting players that the NFL's really ever seen with Brady and Gronk. Yeah, it's been wild. It's only uh, it's it's still been about two months here, but it totally changes the franchise and the perception and the relevance. Um, so many of the things I can usually complain about in covering this team really aren't there anymore. Um, so uh, it's no, it's been wild, and, and we really have barely gotten to have much access to Brady. We had like an introductory presser with him uh, on a <laughs> on a uh, conference call, uh, but he he's been a constant source of of reader interest. Um, I think that's not going to change as the summer goes on here. Even with the golf this weekend, it was wild to. To kind of be in the middle of that and, and watch that as somebody uh, that's going to be covering Brady on a daily basis. So yeah, it, it, it's completely changed things here, and we'll continue to do so. Greg, uh, take us back if you can uh, to the story of how the Bucks got Tom Brady. I mean, how surprised were you that it actually happened? I mean, when did you first start? I mean, I knew the Bucks were in the mix, but when did you start? really feeling like this thing was going to become a reality or did you ever feel that way until it actually happened? Yeah, it was kind of a slow process. Um, it's like in January, even February, I was uh, politely dismissive of anybody that even brought it up. Uh, it was one of those where you're you're like, yeah, but I'm not really sure why he would leave New England. And even if he did, I, I don't know why he would pick Tampa. Um, so, you know, for me, I guess the first time it really became real was at the combine in Indianapolis, um, you know, it, the conversation up to that point had been like, should the Bucks franchise Jameis Winston? Uh, like, could they even expose themselves to the risk of allowing him to hit free agency to go after another quarterback? Um, and then, you know, Bruce Arians was really fairly open, um, perhaps even too much so in saying that Brady was, I mean, we said, to you know, what's an example of a guy you'd, you'd pick up the phone for to go after in free agency? And he's like, Tom Brady. And it was like, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, so I remember coming back from Indy, we did like, all right, let's let's write something on the Bucks and Brady. What would be the things they would try to sell Tom Brady on? What would be the way they could get to him and say, okay, look, you got you know uh, a coach who's worked with great quarterbacks and has a history of developing guys like Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck and Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer. And then, okay, how about uh, two elite receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, and better help in terms of the talent he would be throwing to than anything he's known. Uh, but even then, it's like you weren't really sure. I mean, is Tampa uh, big enough, relevant enough to to handle Tom Brady and Giselle? I mean, I think I think initially you figured he would take a huge splash like uh, Las Vegas or a new stadium in Los Angeles in a big, big market. Um, that would handle the star power that he has. And I had even thought, I mean, my initial thought was that the Titans made a lot more sense for him. He had a lot more personal ties. He played eight years with Mike Vrabel, knows him really well. The Titans were the team that eliminated him from the playoffs. So I thought there'd be a lot of respect. I didn't think he would leave unless he really had a team he thought he could win with. And I thought the Titans were were more likely to be that team. So I think the fact that Tennessee was loyal as they were to Ryan Tannehill and gave him the big contract that he got took them out of the equation and, and really opened things up for the Bucks to, to step in there. Well, Greg, what were the reasons that he provided or in your reporting that you've, uh, you've heard 
why he picked Tampa. Yeah, I mean, I think the the first things he's talked about, um, I don't think he would do this unless he thought he had a chance to win here, and I think he does, uh, which is strange to say because they haven't been in the playoffs since 2007. Um, the Bucks are, are basically the opposite of Tom Brady in that all he knows is, is postseason success and divisional titles and and seasons being won and lost in the month of January. And, and this is a Bucks team that hasn't done that at all in 13 years. So uh, I think he likes the talent here. I think he especially likes the talent he'll be throwing to. I think the chance to work with Bruce Arians was something that uh, he liked um, as an offensive coach, as someone who's worked with some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, I think logistics helped out here. I, I think he kind of was able to eliminate his West Coast options because he wanted to be closer to uh, family he has in New York City, uh, the things that they have in place on the East Coast, um, even with family with Giselle uh, out of the country being closer to that. So there's a little bit of uh, being in the right time zone at the right place, if that sounds right. Um, and I think he just, I mean, it, he doesn't have any real ties to Tampa. He's only played here once in his career, never played a Super Bowl here. Uh, so it's a city that's very new to him, but I think he he very quickly found the things that he liked about it and decided this was a match. And Greg, how much communication have y'all had with Brady? Um, I assume you've had at least uh, one Zoom conference call with him or how has it worked out from the organizational standpoint, introducing him to the, the local uh, fan base? Yeah, like you said, real little. Um, it's like we had, we had that Zoom conference call more than two months ago now uh, when he was on board and signed. And that was maybe a half hour. Um, you know, you got one or two questions in there. Uh, we all got to listen to him on the uh, Howard Stern show for two hours. And obviously there was a lot to be gained from that. Um, but we haven't talked to him since. Uh, it was kind of funny. A week ago today, uh, the Tampa Bay Times, the newspaper down here, did a good job and kind of spied him with a couple of his new teammates working out uh, at Berkeley Prep at a private school here in Tampa on their fields. Uh, I was up at 5.45 this morning driving down there to see if they were back there again a week later. Um, and that's weird because that's just kind of spying from afar. That's very much paparazzi-style uh, journalism, if you will. But they weren't there this morning. So I, I've I've yet to – I mean, it's a weird thing where even if we were there, I guess you wouldn't say you'd shaked his hand, uh, shook his hand. But, uh, yeah, we, we really haven't talked to him at all since that initial Zoom call. And obviously, you know, normally you'd have – OTAs and uh, you know mandatory mini camp; those have all come and gone in the normal NFL calendar right now. So it's just a matter of uh, him kind of taking advantage of the isolation that we have from the team right now. We really haven't seen or talked to him much at all. Greg, what kind of player do you feel like Tampa's getting with Tom Brady? Uh, Forty-three years old. Uh, look, he's not the Tom Brady say of two thousand seven when they nearly had a perfect season, but what type of player do you expect him to come in and be? Yeah, and that's kind of the big question. I think I think the critics here will point to his age right away. Um, what he's trying to do is, is completely unprecedented. There's never been a 43-year-old starting quarterback in NFL history in terms of any sustained run. Uh, there's only one quarterback who's started a game and thrown a touchdown pass at this age. There's only one quarterback who's ever started a game and won at this age. So... Uh, he's very much doing things that no one's done before. But, you know, he had a better year at 42 than any 42-year-old in NFL history. He had twice as many yards, twice as many touchdowns as anybody had had at age 42. So the Bucks have to hope that uh, he's still that guy. I mean, that there's obviously some drop-off at this age, but he's done a remarkable job 
uh, of keeping himself in physical shape to handle the game at an age where no one else has really been asked to. Uh, hasn't missed a game with injury since 2008, which is crazy at any position, let alone quarterback. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think there's, I think there's an inevitable drop off. I don't think they need him or want him to throw as much as Jameis Winston did last year. You know, and throwing for 5,100 yards. Uh, so I think the yards, even the touchdowns, might be down from last year. But I also think there should be a pronounced drop off in, in turnovers. That's probably where he's going to make the biggest difference. Is just being able to go through a whole season. Uh, and instead of 30 interceptions, instead of 35 turnovers, uh, the most he's ever had in a season is 14. And even if he did that, you're still talking about cutting interceptions in half. So, I mean, I think that's where he can help is, is still being a playmaker, but just being much more careful and limiting his mistakes in a way that, that they felt like Jameis Winston probably couldn't. Well, Greg, uh, what has, or if anything, if Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians – said about the offense under Brady, will it be the same offense? Will they tailor it to Brady's skill set compared to Jameis Winston? Uh, I'm curious about that because I know there's been some criticism of Arian's offense in the past that it leads to a lot of interceptions. I think Carson Palmer was the leader in interceptions one year under under him in Arizona. I'm just kind of curious how the Bucks' offense is going to look with Brady quarterbacking. Yeah, they haven't really given us a lot of details, only that as with any new quarterback, they're going to cater to his strengths and what he does well. Um, I think first and foremost, they have to protect him better than they protected Jameis Winston. Um, Winston had 47 sacks last year. Uh, Brady had 28. And I think some of that, I don't know that the Patriots offensive line was substantially better than the Bucks offensive line last year. I think Brady is a little bit better at having that internal clock in, in knowing when to throw the ball away, when to get rid of it. Uh, when not to hold the ball too long. So I think that that's a f- good first step, is just uh, not as many long developing plays as much as Arians likes to take shots downfield. You, you just don't want to, if you have a 43-year-old quarterback, you have to protect him like a 43-year-old. So I think it'll be a little bit less slow developing, seven-step drop, wait, 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 throw it deep. Um, you know, I think if you look at Brady and look at what he's done well, they're going to throw the ball to the backs a lot more than they have. They're going to throw the ball to tight ends a lot more than they have. Um, they had a pretty good one-two at tight end already with O.J. Howard and Cam Brate. And then, uh, as you've mentioned, they added maybe the best tight end in the NFL and Rob Gronkowski. Um, so I think you'll see a lot more what they call 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field at once. If you go back to maybe some of Brady's best years offensively, I think it's when they had a ton of, of 12 personnel and they had uh, either Gronk and Aaron Hernandez or Gronk and Martellus Bennett or, you know, Gronk and these other tight ends. Um, I mean, I think there's one year, I think it's 2011. I mean, Tom Brady threw 24 touchdown passes to tight ends that year. Um, and obviously 17 of them are Gronk. And, and the Gronk we see today probably isn't 2011 Gronk by any means. Uh, but I think, like I said, I think they'll they'll use the backs, use the tight ends a lot more. Brady's thrown at least 100 passes to running backs in each of the last three years. So I think you'll see more screens to backs, more running backs lining up at receiver. Um, they did a good job of trying to draft two guys that, that have some pass catching ability. Uh, yeah, so I think it would be silly not to shift the, the offensive strategy and ideology to what suits your quarterback best, especially when it's someone who's had the success that Tom Brady's had. Greg, how much do you feel like Tom Brady, and he had really diminishing weapons by the time he left New England, uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, just those two names in and of itself. 
I mean, how much do you think those two guys helped Brady and draw him into Tampa? Yeah, I think it's a big part of the sell. I mean, to me, if you're going to try and do this and start another chapter where you have to have a great amount of success to have this not be a really weird footnote at the end of your career, uh, I think you want all the help you can get. Um, Tom Brady hasn't had a Pro Bowl receiver since 2013. And Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both went last year. Both went over 1,000 yards. I think they combined for 17 touchdowns. Um, two guys that really complement each other well. Mike Evans is as good a contested catch, jump ball, you know, beat somebody in midair for it as anybody in the NFL. Chris Godwin's just a great yards after the catch receiver. I think he was second in the NFL in yards after the catch last year. Um, so those two really complement each other. Um, Godwin's a free agent after this year, so he's either going to be really expensive or, or somewhere else. But for this year, they have, again, two great receivers and, and some great tight ends to put with them. Uh, I think their running game will be a little bit better. And, and I think they, they certainly hope the offensive line can be up to the task of, of keeping him uh, healthy and alive for a full season. Greg, I'm, I'm curious to know, just from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, one of the big, I think, changes that Sean Payton and Drew Brees instituted here in New Orleans was they changed the perception and the profile of the organization. I mean, the Saints were always kind of uh, just also-rans, and then suddenly they become a high-profile team uh, with the winning that comes with these two guys. And I know everything in the NFL is high-profile. I mean, it's the most covered sport league in the world, but it has to have changed for you, just the job. I mean, are you getting more media requests? What's it like in the market now, the excitement of fans? I imagine it's gone 180 for you. Oh, yeah, no, totally. It's like the, the week that they got Brady, I forget. I think I did like 26 radio hits. And I think there's usually a fair amount of those. But it was like, uh, I think I did five in Canada that week. <laughs> I talked to the BBC and was on the BBC, which honestly, the, the BBC wasn't asking about Jameis Winston that often. Um, so, yeah, lots lots of interest well beyond. Uh, you get calls from, you know, a newspaper in Tokyo. And you'll get a call from... Uh, People far outside the the normal relevance of. I mean, I think the Bucks do well locally, but I mean, there's lots of times where there, there's not national interest in this team over the course of an entire year. You know, um, mm-hmm. so the relevance I think is what's changed the most. Um, you know, they were 31st in the league in attendance last year, and they're really close to selling out their season tickets here, uh, despite coronavirus, despite raising their prices 15 percent because they know Tom Brady's here. Uh, there's, there's lots of things that change. I mean, prime time. I think Jameis Winston had four games in five years that were on Sunday or Monday night, and they've got four games this year, just this year, two Monday night games, uh, two Sunday night games. There's just a, a platform nationally that he immediately elevates this team to, and I don't think there's anybody else in the league they really could have brought in that would have done that. Um, you know, Gronkowski – if, if it was just Gronk, it would have been a huge part of the offseason. And he's almost just this like tag along. Oh, by the way, they added uh, the guy who had the most touchdown catches in the NFL in the 2010s. So, yeah, it's it's unreal. And I think we won't fully appreciate it until uh, if things work out right till September when we're actually seeing football games. Greg Allman of The Athletic covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, a.k.a. officially the Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski beat writer, <laughs> almost as if he's covering like LeBron James. Uh, Join yeah. us right here <laughs> on the Duncan Holder podcast. We'll uh, jump in and talk Rob Gronkowski, Jameis Winston, 
and the rest of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here on the back half of the Duncan Holder podcast. But look, smelling good is important. Duh, the most obvious statement there is. But are you still wearing polo blue from high school? Maybe your girlfriend uh, in 8th grade or 10th grade gave it to you. Are you still walking into Sephora or anywhere to buy cologne and overwhelmed by the choices? You still wearing Old Spice and women think you smell like their dad. Gross. Well, guess what? Give Hawthorne a try. Hawthorne smells really good. And getting Hawthorne cologne, it's so easy. Perfect Father's Day gift coming up in the next couple of weeks. And all you've got to do is take a quick two-minute quiz. And Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code Athletic to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. Back here on the Dunk In Holder podcast, here on the Athletics Podcast Network, Greg Allman joining us uh, on the show. It's been a Tom Brady first half of the podcast, and we were getting to a little bit of Rob Gronkowski talk. I mean, Greg, did Gronk join like Hulk Hogan and go on a Zoom call and start ripping his shirt off and holding up like, what is it, the WWE NXT belt? I mean, is, is he like the next like Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone wrestling duo with Hulk Hogan or what? This 24-7 thing, it's, I feel like I have to at least keep an eye on it because there's a million wrestling fans out there. So he just did a, he just cut a <laughs> promo last night. There's like a minute video, and he's got sunglasses on, his hair slicked back, and he's wearing the belt. He's got his belt slung over his shoulder. Um, <laughs> he He's very much larger than life. Um, and, I mean, you see that with Brady because he has six rings. But, like, Gronkowski has a TV show that starts this Wednesday on CBS. There's like a... Uh, it's almost like a game show. It's it's kind of like Double Dare from the old Nickelodeon days, but for adults. And it's like Gronk is like, uh, they're doing like human foosball and human bowling balls where they're sliding people down into pins. And Gronk is doing barrel rolls in a fighter plane and all this stuff. So like last week I'm on this, uh, they did like a press 
Zoom for that. And I'm on there with like uh, James Corden. He's like the executive producer for the show. And he's on there with Gronk. Venus Williams is on there. They've got all kinds of people. So there's there's this Hollywood, um, I think the circus aspect of covering Gronk is even greater maybe than Brady, where it's just normal uh, superstar aspect. I mean, it's just everything about him is a little bit bigger, crazier, more circus than usual. How are they going to work this, Greg, with... I mean, most teams would be happy with any one of those three tight ends. Yeah. The Bucks have three really stud tight ends. I mean, how, how do you think this is going to play out? Yeah, I was. It's funny. I was looking, trying to find like the best tight end depth in NFL history. Like, you know, when when has there been a team that's had three tight ends get thirty catches or something like that? And they have a chance to really to reset that this year. I mean, um, OJ Howard is, is kind of coming off of a down year this past year. Only had one touchdown, but he played like 80% of the snaps last year. I mean, it was a key part of their uh, blocking and pass game, even even if he wasn't involved in actually catching touchdowns the way you're used to. Uh, Cam Brate, again, is the number three tight end here. And if you look at touchdown catches for the last five years, he's fourth in the NFL. Uh, 27 touchdowns in the last five years. And Gronkowski, again, like you, this, we had thought they might have had too many tight ends and need to trade one before they added Gronk. So uh, it's a little bit crazy right now. Like I said, I think because their third receiver maybe isn't as good as it was a year ago, I think you'll see a lot more double tight end as as their base offense rather than three receiver as a, as a base look. And even then, it's still kind of like there's only one ball. So um, it, the key for, for Bruce Arians is going to be keeping these guys happy when they're not getting 50 passes. I mean, Gronk's probably good for 50 easy. But uh, for Howard and Brait, it's one of those where uh, these guys have been here a while. They've never really won here. So if you're catching less balls but the team's winning, I think that makes it a lot easier to handle a, a smaller role. Greg, how much maybe in the community do they feel that this team can catch the Saints and win the division? The Saints have won the division the last three years in a row. Yeah, that, that's probably the biggest question right now. I, I think – it's almost accepted that this should be a playoff team, which is, again, a, a hilarious thing to say with a straight face in Tampa in May. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think people expect them to be the team in best position to challenge New Orleans. But I think there's also that respect of uh, the Saints have won the division three years in a row. Um, and even though the Bucks have had some luck winning and even winning in New Orleans, uh, last year's games didn't feel that close in terms of the games that the Bucks played against the Saints. Um, the fact that it's week one in New Orleans only adds to that. Um, you know, whoever comes out of that first game, if it's played as scheduled, will be in the driver's seat for the division. I mean, that'll be the team that's officially labeled the team to beat. Um, if the Buck can somehow pull it off, they, they've gone into New Orleans and won uh, twice in recent years. They did it with Ryan Fitzpatrick two years ago. Um, if they could do that, yeah, that, that immediately validates them in a hurry. And if they don't, it's something where, you know, they got to play catch-up. Uh, it's weird. Like, their schedule, they've got two division games early to start the year, two in the middle, and then they have the Falcons twice in the last three games. It's kind of an odd schedule the way it breaks up. Um, but, yeah, I think I think there's very much the opinion that uh, they're in the best position to challenge New Orleans if this division can put a second team in the playoffs. Uh, there's a good chance that the Bucks are part of that. Uh, but if you look at the, the history for Drew Brees and Tom Brady, they're both much, much better quarterbacks at home in the playoffs. I think Brady is 20-4 and four all-time at home in the playoffs, and he's like 3-5 and five on the road. Uh, 
Breeze, I forget his numbers. Obviously, it's, it's less overall playoff games, but much the same. So the, the really the key to which one of them has a, a shot to be the NFC team in the Super Bowl starts with which one of them gets to play at home in that first playoff game. And, and a big, big step towards that is going to be week one in New Orleans. Well, Greg, week one in New Orleans, uh, the Saints will have a different backup quarterback on their roster. We're assuming Jameis Winston is going to be the backup. Uh, we've got to get a scouting report. I mean, he he obviously, uh, you know him well. You covered him his entire time down in Tampa. And it was somewhat of a surprise, I think, to some people here in New Orleans that the Saints went after Jameis Winston. Obviously, they know him well from all the uh, the games they played against each other. Uh, what is the scouting report for Saints fans on Jameis Winston, what what is the player that the Saints will be getting, and and how do you explain the, the interception issues? Can the Saints solve that? I mean, I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on this this marriage. Oh yeah, I, I was surprised by it. I did not expect um, him to take a, a spot like New Orleans, where the starter is so entrenched uh, and secure as Drew Brees is. I, I had really thought that he would go to a place where he didn't need an injury to get on the field. Um, you know, place with an untested quarterback, uh, Denver or Jacksonville or someplace like that, even Chicago early on before they traded for Foles. Um, so it surprised me. Um, and I think it's probably reflective of an overall uh, lack of interest that he had in the free agent market. Um, in terms of what you're getting with Jameis Winston, it's it's high volume everything. Um, it's, as you saw this past season, uh, definitely great amounts of yards, great amounts of touchdowns, but also every bit is frustratingly uh, a huge amount of turnovers. So I would tell you that for me, what was most surprising about Winston is that he never really turned the page uh, as it related to interceptions and turnovers. That was the big question mark even before he got to Tampa. Um, you know, you, you look back at that 15 draft and we spent a lot of time looking at Winston and Mariota and, and which one is better. And obviously neither of them have necessarily been the right answer now that you look at him five years later. But, you know, Winston had 18 interceptions his last year at FSU, and, and Mariota never had that problem in college. So I think the risk that the Bucks took, in addition to kind of the off-field risk that came with Winston, was, okay, well, can you coach him out of those mistakes? Can you uh, find ways to get him to make plays without making turnovers? And you never really saw that here. Um, I mean, I don't think he ever had the turnovers in a way he had this past year. Um, but had double-digit interceptions every year. Um, and that always kind of mitigated the success he had. He had back-to-back 4,000-yard seasons to open his career. Uh, only NFL quarterback ever to do that. Um, you know, very much showed he's a playmaker in the NFL. Um, all kinds of highlight real plays. I mean, he's had Mike Evans almost the whole time he was here. Uh, but this past year, you know, I think, as you said, Bruce Arians' offense is probably not the best thing to put a guy like Jameis Winston into if you're trying to get him to to cut back on his mistakes. Um, so we knew that was a potential problem. Um, you know, Peyton Manning had 28 interceptions his first year with Arians. Carson Palmer had 22. Andrew Luck had 18. Uh, but I don't think anyone expected what he did this past year um, to have 30 interceptions, most by an NFL quarterback in 30 years. Uh, so it's strange. And I, I again, I think people probably could have seen the Bucks going in a different direction. Um, and even if it wasn't Brady, it might have been Teddy Bridgewater, who you guys know well. Uh, but to see the rest of the NFL kind of politely decline to take a shot at Jameis Winston. You know, you look at guys like Case Keenum getting six years and $18 million and uh, 
uh, other backups getting four and five million dollars, and for Manning, not Manning, for for uh, for Jameis Winston to take a one-year deal for one point one million dollars uh, with a franchise that just gave another quarterback good money in Taysom Hill, that was strange for me. It's it's still a little bit confounding. Um, I can see where his people saw what Teddy Bridgewater was able to do with that situation in terms of getting an opportunity, making the most of it, going five and zero and getting himself a $60 million contract, I just don't know if that's going to happen again. Uh, I think there's a real window where uh, Breeze doesn't get hurt and Winston doesn't really play very much, and then he finds himself in that in that weird uh, hellish quarterback purgatory that maybe Blake Bortles is in right now, where people don't even remember where he went because he went as a backup and the starter stayed healthy and he didn't play at all. And now he's, again, completely unsigned, even as all the other backup jobs are getting filled all over the league. So I'm curious to see what happens for Winston. And, and uh, having seen him for the last five years, I know what he's capable of doing. But it, it's surprising to see him uh, choose a situation like this where it, it's almost an NFL redshirt year for him to try and learn and correct things without necessarily being able to do so on the field. Yeah, Greg, when you look at the Teddy Bridgewater situation, uh, look, Teddy had to come back for another year and uh, just sit and he just was lucky to get on the field and that was kind of my thing where if Jameis never plays uh, the value of him would be learning under Drew Brees in the classroom and on the field is kind of uh, you know taking a back seat do you think Jameis has the right temperament after being the man in college being the man number one overall pick to sit back and just kind of be that sponge? Do you think he has the right temperament to be able to do that and possibly, if he resigns with the Saints, compete with Taysom Hill for the starting job in New Orleans? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, this is something that's completely new for him. As you said, he I don't think he's known this at any point in his career. I mean, even going back to high school, uh, the idea of him not being a starter, not being assured of number one reps every day, of every year. Uh, this is new for him. And on that initial call with you guys, I think he was, was smart about saying that it's, it's a humbling thing. It's uh it's something that's going to change his approach to things because all he's known is winning national titles, winning Heisman trophies, being the number one overall pick, uh, being at every point here, you know, pretty much the starter. So, yeah, I mean, and to do this, it's funny it, that he chose new Orleans was a surprise in itself, but then to see, what the money was, and to see them commit $16 million to Taysom Hill, um, that sends a pretty clear message about where their commitment is. So the idea that he you know, would sit a year and still not necessarily even have the job if Drew Brees were to retire, uh, it's surprising. And I don't, I don't know how well it's like a year from now. You look at free agency, and I think part of the problem for Jameis this year in free agency is that you just had – uh, you know, Tom Brady and Philip Rivers and Teddy Bridgewater and to some extent guys like Dalton and Foles and others that were, were available even if they weren't free agents. Next year should be a little bit better. Um, there's not nearly as many uh, top-tier quarterbacks that'll be there. So maybe because the supply is down, it'll help with the demand for Winston. But if he hasn't done much in the past year, I can't imagine there's a huge market for him. So I'll be intrigued to see whether he takes less, kind of like Bridgewater did for a second year in New Orleans, or, or whether he tries to go somewhere else and, and start from scratch again with a third team. Greg, one of the things that Saints fans are trying to reconcile with Jameis Winston 
is just his character. Uh, you know, he's a kind of a polarizing player in the league. He's obviously had some off-field incidents that are more, I think, attributable to just maturity issues than anything else. I know a lot was made this offseason. I think he got married. Uh, you know, he, he said in his conference call with us that, you know, he's very humbled by everything. Uh, what kind of guy is Jameis Winston for, for Saints fans that might not know him? Yeah, very polarizing. That, that's a word that I think is is one of the first words I turned to with Jameis and was that way when he was drafted and was that way this spring as as fans were trying to figure out if they wanted him back and, and how much the Bucks should pay to bring him back. Um, I will say, in the five years he was here in Tampa, uh, Winston said and did the right things very consistently, very active in the community. Uh, even after he signed with the Saints, I went out, this is probably three weeks ago, uh, and he's given away food at a, at a restaurant in a poor part of, of East Tampa um, and has done that each of the last couple weekends here in town. Uh, has always been very active, good with kids in the community here. So you're constantly weighing that against the things that he's been accused of, um, things that very few people in this league that continue to play have been accused of. And it's always just been accusations. So you have to always temper it as that. Um, but yeah, Jameis, you know, you think about Jameis as a leader. Um, he's had moments in New Orleans that have called him into question. Some of his most uh, unfortunate and controversial moments in the NFL have been in New Orleans. I mean, you go back to uh, everyone points to the, the eating the W's pregame speech and, and whether that scared the daylights out of his teammates or not. But that same game was the game where he got benched because he was hurt in the second half. And while he's on the bench, is poking at, at Marshawn Lattimore and, <laughs> right. and, and getting Mike Evans to, to shove Lattimore blindside him from behind where Evans gets suspended for a game. And, and Winston, again, probably just overstepped his bounds. Mike Evans, regardless, has to know he can't blindside an NFL player. Uh, but Dirk Cutter, when he was the coach here, kind of said that Jameis has to know better than to get involved with something when he's not even a player on the field. So those were some of those moments where, you know, especially with poking Lattimore and getting involved there, it's just that that competitive desire sometimes can can beat him a little bit where he's beaten himself. Um, I think I think Winston wanted to be somebody who could be a long-term answer here. There, there's never really been a, a quarterback in Tampa that's gotten a second contract that's been um, – you can be a franchise quarterback just because you're a number one overall pick, but has never really uh, renewed that title by getting a second deal. And again, he didn't. So that's one of those things that's going to carry on here for at least another couple of years. Um, and it's odd to know to not know what his future is going to be because uh, you, you saw it with Mariota too. I mean, Mariota a year ago was was still entrenched as a starter, had taken his team to the playoffs, former number two overall pick. And he's already seen a job get taken away, and now he's just a backup in Vegas. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what what happens to Winston and how he can respond to uh, the, the the place he's in right now, which is not a very enviable place to be. Well, Greg, we've only talked about a handful of people, and we're almost yeah. uh, 35 right. minutes into this pod, 36 minutes into this pod. What are some of the strengths uh, that you see throughout the rest of the team? What are some of the question marks? Uh, and uh, I know Jeff has the all-important restaurant recommendation question he wants to ask after, after this. <laughs> Got to get to it. I um, I guess the, what we haven't talked about at all is, is Tampa Bay's defense, and that is probably the single biggest thing that will decide 
whether they're a good team or a great team or, or again, a 7-9 and nine team. Uh, I think their defense got much better as the year went on last year. They were not a good defense at all in the first eight or nine games of last season. Uh, had a really young secondary that, that looked the part and, and definitely flipped switch and in the last six or seven games was much better. Um, I think their front seven was much better throughout the season. Um, statistically, they had the number one run defense in the NFL last year. I think a lot of that was that teams just knew they could throw really easily against the Bucs. Uh, but no, I mean, to have everything back up front, um, they spent good money to franchise Shaq Barrett, who led the NFL with 19 and a half sacks. That's a team record. Um, gave Jason Pierre-Paul $25 million over two years to bring him back. Brought in Dominican Sue back. Um, so their front seven, starting, starting front seven, is all back intact. They made very little changes to their secondary. They didn't draft a corner. They didn't sign a corner. Uh, so very much just sticking with the young guys and hoping that their progress and development uh, can continue in a big way. They drafted a safety in the second round, so that's helped there. Um, you know, linebackers in the middle are going to be uh, one of the strengths of this defense. And Levante David, who you guys have known for years, and in Devin White, uh, who's a Louisiana guy and, and really just started to get a feel for the NFL in the second half of last season and really came on strong in the last month of the season. Um, had two touchdowns, was just making splash plays every week. So, yeah, I think as, as much as we talk about Brady and Gronk and Evans and Godwin and this offense and, and all the, the fantasy football kind of things with this team, and the defense is probably what's going to decide whether it's a 10-win a team or an 8-win team. Uh, what can really set them apart is if they can actually play well and be a an upper half NFL defense, a top 10 NFL defense this fall. All right, Greg, time to put you on the spot for a restaurant recommendation. You know, Saints fans, I'm sure you're aware of this, covering the <laughs> The, the team for so long, they, they flock to Tampa for the game, yeah. in part because they can get tickets. <laughs> in the past, they could get tickets. Right. But it's also just a great trip. It's a direct flight uh, to and from Tampa to New Orleans. The stadium, I think, is one of the best in the league for watching a game. And you've got that great tailgate situation in Tampa. So a lot of Saints fans coming down, I'm sure going to try and come down for that big primetime game uh, against the Bucks. Where would you suggest if they're looking for a place to go, uh, either for food or just to get a drink before the game or after the game? Uh, give us your best like local insider knowledge. Yeah, this is not easy. There's pressure in this because New Orleans is easily my favorite uh, road trip for eating. I mean, the best city I can eat in, uh, at least that I know. Um, I love New Orleans as a city to eat in. Smart man, um, Greg. At least you're getting some fans here in New Orleans. Smart man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But as far as where to get people in Tampa, um, the place I would tell you is a place called the Columbia Restaurant, uh, which for fans in Tampa, the best location is in Ybor City, which is kind of the historic part just off downtown. Uh, Columbia's Spanish Spanish food, uh, amazing. It's kind of, we go maybe once or twice a year here uh, whenever I've got friends in towns where we want to take them. Uh, their paella is amazing. Um, they've got a a uh, Salteado that's they call the Maryland and Joe Salteado that's outstanding. Um, easily the best salad I know is their 1905 salad. We just got the uh, if they sell the the dressing and rest in in grocery stores here, so we just got that and it's a, it's a salad that's got Julian ham and Swiss and and uh, like a garlic uh, dressing Ooh. that's just amazing. And like I said, I, I'm going to try here this week to replicate it at the house and fail miserably. Um, but yeah, that's that's my favorite restaurant. That's definitely where I talk. There's there's lots of great Cuban places in town too. Uh, if you haven't had a Cuban sandwich, if you haven't had 
Cuban food. That's something Tampa takes a lot of pride in. Um, he's always battling with Miami for who makes the best Cuban sandwiches, who has the best Cuban restaurants. Uh, so there's a lot of good places for that too. Well, Greg, we look, we really appreciate the time. I know this will, will be your, uh, 5,000th interview. It won't, you'll probably have <laughs> 10,000 more, uh, as the season comes and progresses and afterwards. But, uh, look, you've done a tremendous job chronicling everything and look it's uh we uh you and me we went to the athletic at the same time so we've seen quite a, right. a revolution <laughs> and, or an evolution of uh of sports writing and uh of, of teams so greg allman of the athletic look hey greg appreciate it buddy stay safe and uh like i said uh keep keep those pipes fresh because i'm sure this won't be your uh your last interview guys thanks very much for having me on really enjoyed this and, and hopefully uh we're seeing you guys week one, uh, September thirteenth uh, or whatever it is. Uh, that'll be yeah. something to look forward to. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we get to definitely catch up. So, all right, that's Greg Allman of the Athletic. Follow all of his coverage at the Athletic of Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now a national highlight in the NFL. So I want to thank our producer, Danielle, as always, for uh, putting up with our shenanigans. Uh, and, of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder, 40% off your first year annual subscription. Or follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Tell per, uh, one person, two people, a million to jump on and subscribe to the Duncan Holder podcast. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for listening in on another edition of Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.